Well, I'm glad I didn't have to read it because that's so long. <laughs> well, we are in uh, Luke's Gospel, and uh, we're in a series uh, called Following Jesus. So I wondered this morning, um, what is your hope for where you are? Okay, what is your hope for where you are? What does it look like for God's kingdom and rule and authority to be where you are? So that could be your street, your workplace, your classroom, your community building, where you find yourself, what does it look like to see the kingdom of God come, to reflect God's character? We've seen, haven't we, in the run-up to the general elections, we're being called as Christians to consider actually engaging with what's going on, and that's caused various controversies and outcries. How dare the religious community say such a thing? But what would the UK look like under Jesus' rule? What would Southampton as a city look like? And more important, maybe just for you today, what about where you are actually placed? And if this is your hope for God's kingdom, how do you anticipate that will actually come about? What are you thinking, will it, what will it take for that to happen? In Jesus' time, there was a real kind of healthy, warm, cultured engagement with this question. Uh, It would probably make us English people blush to our very cores with embarrassment because we don't like to talk about religion and politics. We almost shun away from it. We don't like to admit what we voted, even. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, did you vote? Yeah. But that's where we'll leave it because we'd be embarrassed. But in Jesus' time... People loved to talk about this sort of thing. The kingdom of God was on everybody's lips. It wasn't just in the temple courts or those who were particularly religious. But it was also just the man on the street. And even, remember the outcast woman at the well. Okay. She was willing straight away to engage with Jesus on what would the kingdom look like and when would it come. So how it looked, what would happen, when it would come, would there be a king, what would the anointed one look like, would there even be a king, all of this was in their conversation. What about the people that aren't Jews? What about the people they considered not saved? All of these were massive questions. And so it's no wonder when we come to Luke's gospel, his cards are on the table from the very beginning. Let's look at the angel Gabriel's words in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read it from here. It might be slightly different. Sorry. 
You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. This child to be born is both saviour and king. His kingdom will last forever. His authority. He's the son of the most high God. And this is a title used right back in Genesis when God is talking to Abraham. He's called the most high God, the creator of everything, the eternal God. In Daniel, the prophet, it, write, it reads, through many great signs and wonders, your kingdom will be established and endure forever. It will be a powerful kingdom, able to defeat its enemies, and it will be headed up by the descendant of King David. Now this is in the minds of the people that are reading this passage, who are engaging with Jesus on these issues. Well, what does the kingdom look like? And so we read today from Luke 17, we read two passages, but the first, the second one is the Pharisees engaging with Jesus and they're saying to him, when will the kingdom of God come? What will be the signs that it has arrived? What will be the signs? It says, and Jesus says to them, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. That's verse 20 and 21. The, kingdom, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will the people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Brilliant. It's almost a bit like, there is no spoon. <laughs> Where will it be? It's in your midst. <laughs> the Pharisees are always asking for signs, aren't they? Signs. They believed that there would be astrological signs when the kingdom came. And, and they got all this, didn't they? We, read a bit of, we, we heard a bit of Daniel. You know, they believed it would be, we are here. So the kind of things that they expected were earthquakes, fiery swords coming down from the sky, brimstone, hail, blood flowing from rocks, and all of this in Jerusalem, the temple would be at the center of this new kingdom that's established. But Jesus says back to them, it doesn't come with signs. It doesn't come with signs. It's not even a physical place to go to or be, but rather, your words say, it is within you. It's within you. What would be better was be, it's within your midst. Because that word is about in your midst. It means in your presence. It means the domain you are already in. It is amongst you. 
And it can even mean within your grasp. Within your grasp. And Jesus isn't being mysterious, is he? He's not saying, there is no spoon. No. He's being as obvious as he can possibly be about where the kingdom is, where it can be found. You ever had that experience you're just too close to something that you can't see what it is? And when you step back, you go, oh, that is a lovely picture. You've just got too close. Or it's like, I imagine, a parent when you... Uh, you kind of, in your mind, your child is always that baby. And suddenly one day you realize they're 35 and you missed it. Yeah, you know that. (laughs) When our minds are made up on what the kingdom of God will look like, we often miss what his blessings look look, look like right now. When our minds are made up on what the kingdom will look like, we often miss what his blessings look like right now. It's right there in front of them. Jesus is being as obvious as he possibly can. The Pharisees, they've spent hours studying, arguing, debating. What will the blessing look like? How will that be realized? They are passionate people about seeing the kingdom of God. They would put us to shame. What will it look like when the Lord's favor is truly on them? And they are doing everything they can to bring that kingdom about in their family, in politics. They want it in their lifetime. And I was just thinking of this. I thought, oh, sometimes we do do a little bit of that. We may not get involved in politics, but we might do a little bit of this. We imagine what we want. What is the blessing that we want? Let's just imagine if God's reign was complete in my life, what would the blessings look like? And we imagine them. They could be children. They could be healing. They could be financial. They could be a job. What would the blessing look like? And we set about actively to make that happen. And we try at the same time to be really good. Because if we put these two things together, that will happen for us. We want things so badly that like the Pharisees, we miss the blessing that we already have right in front of us and within our grasp. God's kingdom is right in front of you. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, here is the kingdom. It's me. Do you want me? Do you want me? Or do you just want these blessings? Do you want Jesus? Or do you just want the blessings? Are you so focused on getting this that you miss what you already have right here in him? Jesus is super clear about the kingdom. He couldn't be more clear. Reject me and reject the kingdom. Reject me, reject the blessings of the kingdom. And they go hand in hand. So let's nip back to what Luke said just before they have this discussion 
on the kingdom. So we're going to go back to those lepers. Okay. So it's Luke 17. Have it in front of you if you need to. Now, Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. The crucifixion is getting closer. It's literally days now until it will be the Passover. He's meandering his way there, we might say. He could have just walked straight there, but he doesn't. (laughs) He's taking his own sweet time. No one's going to rush him. He knows when he's going to get there. He's in control. He is the authority. No one is taking him. He will get to Jerusalem at the appointed time that he and his father have decided. Let's hold that in our minds. And he comes across these 10 lepers living on the edge of a village. Now, remember, if you know a little bit about um, your Bible, you'll know that lepers were outcasts. They were shunned, uh, they were ignored, they were poor, they were sick. And they were the kind of people that as you're walking along the street, you think, I don't want to look at them because if I look at them, they might ask me for something. You been there? If I look at them, they might ask me for something. Quick, oh, someone on the street, just, oh, they're just, they're just, oh, if I just don't look, it'll be okay. But it was more extreme than this because not only did they have to live there, there was no choice. They were outcasts. They had to dress to show that they had leprosy and they had to cry out unclean. So I want you to imagine now this alienation of crying out unclean. It's bad enough, isn't it, when you go to the doctor's surgery and the receptionist says, and what's the problem? And you're like, do I tell her? Do I not? Do I tell her? Do I not? Will she give me an appointment quicker if I tell her? Will she shout it to everyone else who's just sitting here in the waiting room? But imagine you had to shout what your illness is. And then people would cross the road. Because that's where these people are. But instead of crying out unclean, they cry out, Master, have mercy on us. Or have pity on us, it says up there. Have pity on us. And when he saw them, He saw them. Remember that. He saw them. Jesus sees what people are scared to look at. Remember earlier we talked about how you just don't look. Jesus saw them. That's important, isn't it? The people we want to decide don't exist. It's a lot more comfortable if I pretend it doesn't really happen. It's a lot more comfortable if I just think, well, if I just don't look, it it doesn't really happen. Jesus sees. And this reminded me of Hagar. Do you remember um, Abraham and Sarah trying to have a baby? They end up pulling Hagar into this mess. She gets pregnant, and you get this hideous kind of marriage kind of thing, and she's in there, and she runs away, and God finds her, and he tenderly speaks to her. And Hagar here, she names, she gives God a name. Can you imagine that? She gives God a name. And she calls him the God who sees. It's beautiful, isn't it? The God who sees. And she goes back with hope and full assurance and a real kind of 
are building up in her to be able to go back into that, quite frankly, hideous situation. The God who sees. And Jesus is the God who sees. He is the God who sees. And he invites us, like these lepers, who cry out to him, mercy, to see him. Jesus means saviour. That's what they're crying. Saviour, save us. And they also call him master. That means it's like a commanding officer. It's someone with authority. So they're crying out not only to someone who can see them, but also someone who can help them. Someone who can actually do something about it. And Jesus, what does Jesus do? Well, he says, go, show yourselves to the priests. Go, show yourselves to the priests. And Jesus is commanding them here to do something they would do after they're healed. He's telling them to do something that it is as if they have already been healed. And so it says, and so, as they, and so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. And the word of God for us, isn't it? It contains loads of promises of freedom and purpose and fulfillment and hope. And Jesus asks us too to go as if those things are true. That's faith, isn't it? To go as if those things are true. Faith acts before it sees the results, doesn't it? If we think just back a bit, we see Abraham went to Mount Moriah. We see Noah, he built the ark. We see uh, Moses' parents, they hid him because they saw something a little bit different about him. They took massive risks. We saw Joshua, he marches around Jericho before he sees anything. Faith acts before it sees results. And it says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Our acceptance before God in his midst to be with him is through faith, from first to last. So hope, beyond hope, off these lepers go. And I really like to imagine the one that goes back, he's like setting off and he's like, is that, is that a little bit less red? Is that a little bit less white? What do you think? What about here? How are you guys doing? And on the way, he realizes he's completely clean. Completely clean. And it says, and one of them, when he saw he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. Giving him thanks. Nothing, nothing shouts more than a new believer in Jesus. In uh, one of our alpha groups at the moment, we've got a new believer. And she cannot stop shouting about Jesus and what he's done and how he's transformed her life and how everyone in that room should immediately accept Jesus. She's just, she's like, <laughs> it's amazing to have in the group the loud voice of this man that was previously unclean 
is now shouting something very different. And I'm sure he did for the rest of his life. So how is your voice? What's God done for you in your family, in your relationships? How has he revealed himself to you? When have you last fell at his feet and said, glory to you, Jesus? Glory to you. There is no God but you, God most high. And we read that he was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. Now, Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And Jesus uses Samaritans lots. Have you noticed that? They pop up, pop, 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 pop. Why? Well, they are considered unclean. So as far as a Jewish person is concerned, this man might as well carry on shouting, unclean. It's made no difference to them. The other nine, we don't know. Could have gone to their family to have a look. Could have rushed off to find a priest. Can't find a priest around here. Need to get one quick. Need to get back into society. They want to find the priest. Why? So they can go and give thanks to God. But this one sees something. Just as Jesus saw him, he sees Jesus for who he is. He doesn't need to go to a special place to be in the presence of God. He's right there before him in the person of Jesus Christ. The kingdom is in his midst. He just can reach out and grasp it. He's down on his face giving thanks, glory. He worships the true king. And Jesus says, arise, get up. What's that word mean? Resurrection. From the dead. Resurrection. Your faith has made you well, or literally, your faith has saved you. Rise from the dead. Faith has saved you. This man, rejected by his own people, hated for his nationality, considered nothing, finds the one who sees. And unlike these Pharisees who cannot see, the man sees so clearly who this is and believes. He rises to life with dignity and his whole life and his future has been completely transformed. The God who sees each of us here invites us to him. Do you know yet who Jesus is? 
Do you have an idea? Are you ready to make that step of faith that walk saying, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I want to follow you, Jesus. Will you confess like this man did with your mouth that Jesus is the son of the God most high, the creator, the God who sees and trusts him today? In the Bible, a very holy man, a prophet of God, in fact, someone that would have been considered about as clean as you can get religiously. He cries this out when he comes into the presence of God. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. All of us know that face-to-face with the God Most High, face-to-face, he sees us. He knows everything as if we are having to physically shout it out. And none of us can in that moment say, yeah, pretty clean. We might say, "Mm, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm all right. But the correct response is here with Isaiah who's about as religiously perfect as you can get. Woe to me, because I'm unclean. I'm unclean. We know that. The concept of clean and unclean was really clear to these people that were listening. The first century and the Jewish people who read this, they understand clean and not clean, because unclean means it's not fit for worship. And what does that mean? It can't be in the presence of the holy God. It can't be in the presence of God most high. Do you see? Unclean. I cannot be in the presence of God most high. It can't be in his midst. But when Jesus appears, he says, being in God's midst is within our grasp. We must grasp him. He couldn't be more obvious. Jesus said elsewhere, I am the way. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God most high except through me. He is the key to the kingdom. He can make us clean, fit for worship, to be in God's presence. And how? By Abraham, believing who he says he is. Jesus gave his life. He died on the cross to make us clean, to forgive us for all we have ever done or will do. If we admit that we need him, 
if we really see him and accept his forgiveness and his kingship, it is as easy as it's within our grasp. But we don't yet see the fullness of the kingdom, do we? We only see glimpses of it. This man did not arise to a world free of racism where everyone went, hello, oh, lovely to see you. Please come into my house. He didn't rise to a world where there were no more Roman authorities saying, give us your money and you do this right now. The kingdom is not there yet, and yet the kingdom was there. Those two things. One day, the kingdom will be in its fullness. Jesus gathers his disciples around quietly. He says, I'm going to tell you something. And he speaks quietly to them. And in your home study or in your house groups, you can look further at what he says and he whispers to them. We haven't got time for it right now. But in that, he warns them there's trials ahead. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be struggles and difficulties, including myself going to the cross for you. But I will come in glory. I will come. And on that day, there will be no doubt of who I am. Everyone will see the God who sees. And the time to accept Jesus, to grasp him, will be over. Jesus' call is to us today, and he's passing by. What will we cry out to him for today? I'm, I'm going to pray a prayer now. And if today you felt that Jesus is looking at you, if he is seeing you, maybe the things that no one sees, either by choice or you're forced to hide it, he wants you to enter the kingdom today by grasping him. I'm going to pray a really simple prayer to enter the kingdom. And if you want to pray, you can pray it quietly in your hearts. And I'll pause after each bit for you to say amen in your heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I admit that I have done things wrong and at times rejected you. Please forgive me. And in the quietness now, I'll give you a chance just to offer up to Jesus anything you feel you need to tell him. He knows it all, and he longs to forgive you.